What is up, podcast fans? This is Jared here with the Lit and Lucid Podcast. If you're just finding us, you've found us in the middle of episode 36. There are a ton of great episodes we have up, and still a ton coming down the pipeline. So give some of our previous guests some love, and stay tuned for the fun future ahead. This week, we are lucky enough to sit down with Jordan Wellington of Simplifya. We're going to discuss his background and what led him to Colorado early on to help work with cannabis regulators. We will also touch on how he's helping companies navigate those regulations with his compliance software, Simplifya. If you're ever curious to what happens when a law is put into place and where the citizens can see the change with that law, this is your episode. We dive in deep to how the working pieces came together in Colorado to give you legal cannabis. So stay tuned, stay lit, and stay educated fans. Here's Lucy and Jordan with your show. Here recording live episode 36 with Jordan Wellington, the Chief Compliance Officer with Simplifya. What's up, Jordan? Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. Welcome. What's up, my man? Thanks for being on the show. So we're sitting here recording live in the Simplifya office in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Jordan was the co-founder of Simplifya, so we're going to learn more about his company. Uh, it's a software compliance company that provides solutions to businesses and consultants. So we're going to learn a little bit more about that. Uh, Jordan also has a background in cannabis. He's been he was one of the legislative staffers assigned to implementing uh, Amendment 64, as well as legislation of cannabis through the General Assembly. So we're going to learn a little bit more about kind of how Colorado, you know, did end up legalizing cannabis here in 2012. And then he was also hired by the MED to organize and draft many of the regulations for rec and medical in Colorado as well. Um, then he's also worked with Vincente Cedarberg and advising on various compliance issues across the country. So I think you have probably a vast amount of knowledge that you can probably share with us. Um, so we're going to kind of just dive in. Yeah. So I mean, simply put, very much, we probably wouldn't be sitting here or not in this fashion without your input. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I, I think that that's, that's very appreciated, but I don't know if that's quite the case. I mean, I, uh, I didn't have the good fortune of being able to work on the campaign or, or be one of the people responsible for legalization here. Um, you know, I think those thanks go out to, to folks like Steve Fox and Brian Vicente and Mason Tavert, uh, Christian Cedarberg, Josh Kappel, uh, a lot of folks that I've had the, the privilege of working with over a long period of time. Uh, I really came in after the, the amendment had been passed. And we began kind of the hard work of implementing legalization, of dealing with the, the statutes and the regulations, the details that uh, govern how the industry works, uh, and a little bit about you know individual rights and what that looks like. Absolutely. I mean, so let's just jump back to them before that. You know, obviously not probably your first rodeo, just jumping straight into the cannabis industry. So, you know, what was your background looking like? You know, leading up to the cannabis industry, and what led you here? Uh, I'm a Jersey boy. I grew up uh, just outside New York City um, and went to Brooklyn Law School and was working at the New Jersey Office of Legislative Services, which is uh, the office that drafts all of the legislation and writes all the bills for, for the state legislature. Uh, my wife and I got kind of disillusioned from the East Coast lifestyle and ran away to Colorado in 2012. Um, Worked on a bunch of campaigns, uh, gathering signatures, knocking on doors, doing all kinds of things just to meet folks in, in public policy. 
and get my foot in the door, whether it was at the bill drafting office here uh, or somewhere else in that field. Uh, I ended up working at the House Majority Office uh, as an aide during the cool. 2013 legislative session. That's cool, yeah. yeah. We just got back from D.C. last week, and I interned on the yeah. Hill with Michael Bennett. So we got to, I took Jared through, like, the office and, you know, the underground railroad system and stuff in D.C. Mind-blowing. I always wanted to be in L.A. But then it seemed kind of terrible to say But, that. I mean, then you see, I mean, so what's important here is to recognize, I mean, you, you were a bill drafter. So that's kind of what I got from D.C. is, like, how monumentally important a lot of you know, those parts are that nobody really mm-hmm. pays attention to. So it totally like changed my perspective on a lot of things in life that even like the cannabis industry, people like yourself have to sit down and there's like many hours put in just writing the bills to get you know things passed. And then after that, somebody has to write the, the regulations and all that and the rules for these industries too, kind of off of you know nothing or going off of like past things. And I mean, that person's you, which is you know, pretty cool because it's incredibly important to the whole process. Uh, Yeah, I kind of accidentally fell in love with doing public policy work. I was interning for a New York State Assembly member during law school, uh, and his legislative director just looked at me during the interview, and he's like, oh, you're a policy wonk, and I just agreed with him. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't know. I mean, sure, like, if you're giving me the job, I'm whatever, you know, you need. And and he knew it, and I didn't even know it, and I I spent that, that time with him really just starting to write bills and doing research papers on public policy and and fell in love with that work and and ended up being fortunate enough to work at the bill drafting office where I got some tremendous training and experience uh, and really learned kind of a craft that not a lot of people, especially a lot of attorneys, have an opportunity to, to look at. Most attorneys think about the law as, you know, this is the law that exists, this is the structure that exists, how do I obtain my objectives within the rules of the game as they've been laid out and I kind of have the opportunity to look at things and say, well, what should the rules be? How should you structure those rules? And if I don't like them, I can change them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's always been, you know, kind of why I love this work. You get to kind of put a puzzle together. And so I, uh, I ended up doing all different kinds of public policy before I moved to Colorado. Uh, I was working in the authority section, so I did a lot of uh, work on transportation financing and, and uh, renewable energy and different kinds of technical aspects of regulation within certain industries. Uh, and I really love that kind of stuff. I, I, I find the intersection of business and, and regulation to be really interesting because it, it brings in all these different fields of economics and human behavior uh, and kind of how you structure things to create the results that you're looking for. Hmm. So how did you end up in the cannabis industry? I fell completely backwards into uh, all of it. I was uh, really fortunate. I was given an, uh, an opportunity by a good friend of mine to work at the legislature. Uh, I had been working on uh, issues like civil unions and gun control and a bunch of the other things that we had been working on that session. And one day I showed up to work and he called me into his office and erased everything that I was doing on the whiteboard because he had a list of all the employees and their projects. Uh, and drew a pot leaf and said, you're now the staffer that's assigned to uh, implementation that's of legalization. Awesome. Uh, and I said, you know, oh, God, can I, can I do something else? Like, I, you know, I really want to get a job after this. Uh, I don't want to, like, necessarily, like, you know, have, have problems because uh, I was just moved here and relocated and dealing with student loans and all of those kinds of things that, that people in our generation kind of have to struggle through. And he said, you know, this isn't I said, fuck no, this isn't a democracy. Go do what I told you. Uh, which was true. I mean, he was the boss, and, and he was right. And so I ended up 
kind of just being assigned to be the staffer to help the legislature kind of work through uh, implementation of legalization. There was first the Joint Select Committee, which was split between the House and Senate. There was like a special committee created to examine the governor's task force report, and that was really my introduction. They said, go staff that committee. Uh, and I worked with Representative Pabone um, and many other elected officials, uh, kind of working through turning the governor's report, which was like a big explorative document, into actual statutes and regulations and what they would look like. And my job was really to run between the legislators, the stakeholders, and the bill drafter and kind of like find out what the stakeholders, you know, thought and what needed to get changed and talk that through with the elected officials and then run down to the bill drafting office. Uh, and then back up and, and start that process kind of over again. I, was, I think I was maybe in the best shape of my whole life. <laughs> the legislature in Colorado has really long staircases. and They put the bill drafters all the way down in the basement and the Senate all the way on the top floor. And, you know, you're just running in circles down marble staircases. That's great. Keep you in shape, though. I like it. That's awesome. So, you know, that's a good start to, to your background. So, I mean, obviously that's not where you stop. So then, you know, what was the next stage after that to cannabis you know, phase in your life? Uh, well, after the session ended, uh, you know, I was completely wrong. I had uh, tons of opportunities. We passed the bills. I had a, a great learning experience and worked with a lot of people kind of getting into the weeds and really getting into the details of how the industry was regulated. And uh, I had a bunch of different opportunities, but one of them was to go work at the Marijuana Enforcement Division, helping the state regulators draft and create the policy that would be the ultimate regulation. And a lot of my friends and, and mentors and people that I talked to, we, you know, we all agreed that would be like the dorkiest possible thing I could have done. <laughs> there was nothing quite nerdier than, than going to work at the Marijuana Enforcement Division and writing cannabis regulations for uh, sworn police officers, you know, people with cops and guns and badges and all kinds of stuff that was uh, weird for me. But... Uh, was a fantastic experience as well. I met some great folks and really learned uh, a tremendous amount about how uh, bureaucracy and an administrative agency not only really has to deal with regulations, but operationally how that kind of interplayed with regulation. Um, the, there was a tremendous uh, need to make sure that all of the policy that we created was operable, was functional, that the division could actually do it. And so, you know, before you get that experience of what it's like to staff and build and, and work with people who do that, I mean, I wasn't in charge of that end of things, but that was always the interplay. If I was, I would come in and be like, well, this is the optimal policy solution. This is how we should structure this, and this is yeah. what we should write. And then the people who had that experience were always like, well, how are we actually going to do that? What is the structure of us putting that into place? Uh, and I was like, well, I didn't think about that. And I was, I was, this is how you would create, like, from an academic, economic, you know, uh -huh. business regulatory perspective, like, this is a good way to do things. And they would be like, no. Uh, it was always, you know, it was this dose of reality. Uh, and I think that people who work on the other end of things at the legislative level, they, they sometimes don't always you know, think about that. I, I started joking that at the Capitol, we'd always be like, well, we'll kick the can down the road. Like, don't worry about it. Like, we'll just put a general statement in the bill and we'll let them figure it out. And we'll let them figure it out. And I like kick the fucking can to myself. Right. I thought I was going to pass that off to somebody else. And now I'm stuck with it. So you, you, it starts to make you think about not just how things would affect the, the community and the world at large, but literally how an administrative agency has to put those things into place. Uh, and cool. so I, I got to 
uh, basically run all of their working groups, uh, uh, either you know chairing some of them or organizing them and, and supporting the chair of those groups uh, and drafted the bulk of the regulations that govern adult use in medical cannabis, some of it yeah. which is still written that way today and a lot of it's been written over as we've kind of learned over the years. That's cool. Well, that's cool though because I mean it's it's like a great kind of like peek inside like the workings of you know government and policy and all the way from like the bill being written to like implemented to kind of where we're at today because i mean even like myself i never thought about all the different steps to have to be taken i thought oh a bill was wrote and somehow it magically appeared you know drafted on you know hemp parchment paper and you know put into place and everybody knew what to follow but no there's a lot of steps in there to make sure it's right to make sure it's functional and make sure people know how to follow it and it's not just an easy you know week long task i guess no, uh, actually, at the law school class I teach at DU, um, one of the things I make everybody do is watch this old video from Schoolhouse Rock about how a bill becomes yeah. a law. It's like a three-and-a-half-minute cartoon, um, which everybody listening yeah. should, should Google and watch, even if they've seen it before, because you probably don't remember. Yeah. Like, There are a lot of steps and machinations in the legislative process. I mean, if you think about the legalization of cannabis from, uh, from just the, the very limited... Amendment 64 to regulation timeline, which was really only a year or so. I mean, there was years of work that led into that and years of work since that. But even that went through a constitutional amendment being passed through a ballot initiative process. The governor created a task force that wrote a massive report. The legislature created the Joint Select Committee to produce bills that were then introduced and ran through the legislative process, which meant they had committee votes and floor votes uh, in both houses. And then everything went to the Marijuana Enforcement Division. And before the end of that year, we had held uh, probably 10 working group meetings that were four to five hours each and written by the end of it about 150 or so pages of regulations that, that started out as, you know, a, a hand, uh, about a dozen to 20 something. I don't remember how long Amendment 64 is, but let's say about 20 pages, give or take all the way into this very detailed regulatory policy. So where does that come from? I mean, do you guys just like sit there and say, we need rules around this, we need rules around this, and then, or is there like structure that you guys follow and you say, here's a blueprint from another industry, uh, we probably need things in this area for cannabis, in this area for cannabis. How does that actually work for you guys like drafting these regulations? Well, I mean, there were a lot of steps and phases in that in that process. So there was a regulatory bill passed in 2010 that kind of created some of the basics and some sketchy kind of vague regulations that were adopted off of that. Um, a lot of that still wasn't really written. Um, the governor's task force brought together probably 50, 60 individuals from all different walks of life and discussed every aspect of implementing the legalization of cannabis uh, in Colorado. And so... Uh, in, in that world, in that in that framework, uh, you really had people bringing kind of every issue to the table, and then when you got to the legislature, you had an, probably another 150 people, 200 people involved, plus all uh, outside stakeholders, maybe even more. And, and I wonder why it takes so long. Like, look at yeah, all these different people. a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, so I many people. And it's, you have to get all of that engagement to get it right. Yeah. I mean, that's what Colorado did right, yeah. um, is that we, we engaged in with stakeholders in the community, businesses, uh, every which way we could. When I created working groups at the Marijuana Enforcement Division, I tracked down uh, a marketing, I tra I, I, we had marketing professors, we had a marketing expert from CU to help us with packaging regulation, uh, and labeling, and advertising uh, on those working groups. I mean, we tried 
I, I was contacting climatologists at certain points. I mean, we were outsourcing, bringing as much information into the process as we could and trying to get as much of it right or at least build the bones on, of something that could be grow over time and get better. We knew nothing was going to be perfect the first time we did it. But if we could at least build out a pretty solid framework, we could help structure the growth of that over time. And it's, it's proven to be fairly solid. There's a lot of work to do, but... Uh, overall, we set up a functional industry within the midst of federal prohibition. So, and you were the first state, as far as you know. I, I guess I know. Washington kind of went at the same time as us, but their their system was a lot different, and, and structurally and foundationally a lot different than ours. So, uh, whether we're first or second, I don't I don't know if there was really a contest, but it, it definitely was not much to go off of, that's before, for sure. Yeah. I mean, but there was right. I mean, we do highly regulated industries, right? There's sure. alcohol and tobacco and gaming. I mean, there's so much of cannabis regulation is based on gaming regulation, mm-hmm. um, and, and as well as these other things. So it's not, it's not so much reinventing the wheel. It's finding the appropriate parallel, and it's not in one industry, right? It's it's in a lot of different industries. When you talk about concentrate production, you know, people were not making, you know, uh, you know, butane hash oil and some of these more. Uh, distillate and complicated concentrates, you know, for a long time before this, and the methodology that was being used previously was unsafe and was not, you know, similar. But there are other commodities that are extracted, and when that technology was brought to bear, you know, safety increased substantially, and there was a regulatory structure and regulatory body. I wrote the first ever real concentrate production regulations. Most of it was do what the building code says and do what the fire code says and was almost more like a list of things that you, we checked, that you had to check off to make sure, have like an extra layer of oversight to make sure that people were doing things correctly. Mm-hmm. So that sounds a little bit more like compliance, right? Yeah. <laughs> All that's, right, so perfect. So let's kind of jump into compliance and you know, you obviously had a special passion for compliance. You helped co-found Simplifya, a compliance software here for the cannabis industry. So explain to people what the software is, why they need it, and like why it matters to you. Uh, the software helps people comply with all of the difficult regulations that in Colorado, the Marijuana Enforcement Division, or in California, uh, the BCC or CDPH or CDFA uh, impose on this industry. So uh, operating a cannabis business is, is, uh, requires what we call a privileged license. Um, basically what that means is in addition to all the other stuff that businesses have to do, cannabis businesses have to do extra stuff. Um, and so what we specialize in is making the extra stuff a lot easier for folks uh, by helping with uh, everything from standard operating procedures, documents, storage, licensing, and uh, compliance audits and self-assessments to resolve problems once you find them. Uh, and so I, you know, to me, I think that this is a really important area uh, of the industry because it's, it's how we demonstrate our responsibility to the rest of the world. Um, you know, cannabis prohibition it rests on the fact uh, that the public supports it. And as we see public support eroding, uh, we're seeing cannabis legalization move into, you know, more and more states. I and mean, even Oklahoma passed with a very liberal cannabis, uh, medical cannabis law. And, I think that we're going to continue to see that, but I think that a lot of that rests on the continuation of the narrative that that regulation is working, that things are going well in Colorado, that the public health and safety is protected. And really all of that boils down to compliance. Um, At the end of the day, 
you know, some of the regulations are, are good and some are, are bad and problematic, um, but it, they're, they're well-intentioned for the most part around driving, uh, improving public health and safety. And when those rules are followed, uh, the narrative is that cannabis businesses are responsible and cannabis legalization works. Uh, and if those, if that narrative changes, if businesses cease to comply with regulations, if there's fires or underage sales or all kinds of other problems, uh, you know, what you're going to see is, is that public support, I believe, for cannabis legalization could start eroding. And so there's a component of, um, you know, responsibility that we have in states where cannabis prohibition has ended uh, to really make sure that what we're doing, what we can to extend those freedoms to everybody else. And so I think compliance plays a part in that. That's huge. And I, and I think you're right. I think that's part of the why, you know, legalization came into play is because consumers, they deserve a healthy and compliant and safe product to consume, you know, if they choose to consume, especially recreationally. Uh, medical even more because, you know, if this is a medicine and uh, people use it medicinally, they have to have a safe, compliant, you know, a good product to consume. Um, we previously seen another episode of had a Ben Gelt from where, you know, What's in Your Weed, the campaign, um, and can 100% see, you know, the importance of compliance and the importance of, you know, compliant businesses being the, you know, the, the cream of the crop and offering, you know, a, a good, compliant, quality, you know, or quality product to the consumers out there. So the compliance is the key of, you know, cannabis, I guess, and like why we're here today. People want that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that all consumers deserve to be able to trust the product that they're being given and that it's safe, um, and that it was produced in accordance with with at least the best standards and regulations that we have available uh, at this time. And and it's certainly not perfect. And uh, there's a lot of complications around cannabis production and manufacturing that are are still things that we're working out. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, cannabis legalization is, is about public health and safety first and foremost. And that the truth is that a well-regulated market operated uh, by compliant businesses uh, improves public health and safety across the board for people who consume cannabis and people who don't consume cannabis. Absolutely. And how do you feel Colorado is doing with that right now? Do you feel like we're working in a compliant, healthy, regulated state? I, I think that things are going incredibly well. Uh, you know, I, I can't necessarily, I'm, I'm not necessarily the academic that does kind of all of this research and, and, and details, but I've heard plenty of folks say uh, that I do know and people that I work with that, you know, in the aggregate, you know, we, we legalized, uh, you know, I mean, a psychoactive substance in the middle of uh, an entire country of prohibition and all in all, you know, I think things worked out pretty well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's certainly something that I've believed in for, for a long time and, and appreciate. It's sweet not being a criminal. Uh, <laughs> I do like that, at least not all the time. Uh, and, you know, I think that overall we've seen that, you know, it hasn't created, uh, you know, some of the problems that, that the doomsayers and, and prohibitionists would say that, that would happen. And, you know, even some of the facts around that are, are pretty debatable to the extent that they are crying about. Uh, various concerns. Um, the regulations need a lot of work. Uh, just the legislature is going to pass cannabis bills every year, probably for the next hundred years. Uh, in every state around the country, in every legislative session, there is at least one bill introduced altering alcohol policy. Uh, it's not, 
it's not like we should expect anything else from cannabis. I think mm-hmm. what we're seeing is that we're starting to have conversations and deal with issues in an open and constructive manner. And that at the end of the day, what we've seen is that prohibition doesn't even let those conversations come to light. It takes all this behavior that is going to occur one way or another and, and puts it into uh, the criminal justice system, which isn't good at dealing with any of the positives or negatives associated with mm-hmm. cannabis use. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, a co- that's a really cool way to put it, too. I, I agree with that. So what was cool is that before the podcast we were talking and, and kind of, you know, I don't know if this is the thing that got you to cannabis, it may have been, but you have a, a cool background in autism. And um, you're part of the, the bill, you know, writing the bill that went through the Colorado legislature, I believe, and then got vetoed in May in Colorado. Do you want to touch on that at all? And Yeah, yeah. I, I To say I wrote the bill is kind of funny. Uh, the bill literally is one word. It just says, and autism. Or two words <laughs> so it was, that was an easy one for Mike. <laughs> like, uh, nice, yeah. But, uh, uh, I take credit for that for sure. <laughs> you know, before I before I went to law school, I worked at the Epilepsy Foundation of New Jersey, running a program called Family Co-Options. Uh, my job was to organize uh, basically community integration events for families that had kids with developmental disabilities. So, uh, going to the movies, uh, going out to the mu- uh, museums and malls, and things with teenagers and baseball games and anything that you know would be difficult by yourself, but would feel much more comfortable and, and normalized. Uh, in a group, and we'd have 50 people, you know, and if you're um, a, a single parent and you have a kid with autism, going to the movies is rough, um, yeah. or can be, and and if you have 50 people with you and, and all of a sudden your kid gets up and starts making noise at an inappropriate time, and you're surrounded by people who are like, well, yeah, of course, that's fine. It's yeah, not, that's you know, awesome. you're, you're, yeah, that's really fine. So it was, a, it was a great experience, and uh, I had the fortune this year of being introduced to a group called the Mamas. Uh, Mothers advocating for medical marijuana for autism, um, and these group—I mean, I, I all I did was kind of help and show support and, and t- show up and testify a few times. But they were at the Capitol day after day talking to the legislature about um, the impact that medical cannabis was having with their children, uh, and the stories and the things that we were told were were kind of unbelievable and. You know, I'm, I, I know that people will say there haven't been all of these studies done, um, but there is at least a little bit of data coming around because some of these kids have multiple conditions. And when you have one condition that qualifies you for medical cannabis, those kids can actually obtain it and use it, and their parents can come out and say, no, my, my kid has epilepsy mm-hmm. and autism, mm-hmm. and so he can get medical cannabis for epilepsy, but the autism is also... Uh, being being effective right. and, and helping and really changing and, and we're seeing a huge difference and then you have the parents who who can't do that um, I mean if you if your kid doesn't have a medical cannabis recommendation uh, and you give them cannabis that's child abuse that's, wow. you know that's a big <clears throat> issue with child protective services mm-hmm. and so um, you know that it's not this you know innocuous thing where they're like well it doesn't really matter it's like well really it does and if we wait for these studies to be done um, there's a lot of people that are going to suffer. And so this group came uh, to the legislature and try and pushed through a bill that would have allowed uh, physicians to recommend medical cannabis for people with autism. Um, it included all the protections that were established for PTSD the year before around recommending to minors. Uh, basically, it requires two different doctors to sign off in addition to the parent or guardian's approval. Uh, one of those doctors has to be uh, that family's physician and pediatrician. Um, Unfortunately, after a lot of long days at the legislature, um, 
the governor decided to veto that bill this year. There was a lot of opposition within uh, the public health and medical community that this is not the, the formal structure for how these things should be done, and this is not how even conditions should be added to the list. Um, and there were a lot of reservations. Uh, you know, I think that there's mounting evidence that that this can help people, and if you know something can help somebody, you far be Absolutely. it for me to deny it uh, from them, and not f and uh, but that's kind of where things sit today. And, and now we have uh, gubernatorial candidate Jared Polis, who's you know said if that bill came to him, he would sign it. Uh, we're really excited about his campaign, and, and one way or another, we know autism is going to be added to that list, and hopefully it will help people. The real question has been how many people between the, mm -hmm. that veto, and when we finally get it added to the list, will we'll suffer because of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everything comes around. You know, I like that you do have hope, and I have hope as well. Um, autism, you know, is, is something that I see firsthand as well, seeing the research like you said. And that's the biggest thing for me to struggle with a lot is when people say, well, there's no research around it. Or when MDs say, you know, there's nothing out there for me to go off of. Well, there is. You know, you have to stop being, you know, I don't want to say ignorant, but that's kind of, you know, leading up to it, to the, to the research that is there. Because you can start formulating, you know, a perspective, I guess, or foundation of, like, the knowledge that's out there. And then, two, you have to reach out and you have to listen to those who have, you know, the anecdotal evidence who've been doing this for years and years and treating themselves, uh, you know, over, you know, under the, you know, get outside of doctor's cares, I guess you could say. And so all that does really come into play, and I think it opens up a broader perspective and, you know, you know, have we put too much red tape around, you know, getting things, you know, approved for medical conditions or, you know, or clinical trials, you know, is there too much red tape to do clinical trials, you know, especially with cannabis, and maybe, you know, we're going to have to find other avenues to, to study, you know, these conditions. So lots of work still left to do, and maybe uh, we'll see you back to legislature here soon in a, in a couple of years and, and back at the fight. Yeah, yeah uh, the session starts in January. Um, there's a lot of uh, legislation, regardless of how this election comes out, that we expect to be run, and I'm excited to uh, you know, be able to work on uh, things that help improve the regulatory structure for cannabis businesses, as well as uh, you know, fight for social justice reform. I'd really love to see some... Uh, I'll, I'll just say right now, the thing I'd love from an advocacy perspective is to see the legislature dedicate dollars uh, to fund auto expungement efforts at the mm -hmm. local level. Um, it's something that I, I really would love to see happen um, because at the end of the day, you see expungement efforts for people with cannabis crimes, um, but it costs a lot of money to get that record expunged. You have to have an attorney do it. It takes time. And there's a lot of efficiency uh, that can be gained if, if you just direct the local government to find all of the crimes that should be expunged mm -hmm. and do it and not mm -hmm. require yeah. uh, folks to go through that. So yeah. um, we're raising a lot of tax revenue through cannabis, and I think one of the things that, that, that those funds should be dedicated to is auto expungement efforts. Mm -hmm. uh, and the local governments don't need to be burdened with that expense. The state can, can cover costs. Uh, and and kind of change and turn over uh, some of the harms and wrongs that were done by the drug war. Yeah. Is there any, I've seen a couple things pop up about other municipalities doing that. Do you know of any who are following that path and actually proceeding that route? Or? Uh, as I understand it, Denver's working on it right now. Um, you know, one of the advantages of the big city life <laughs> is you got the big city taxes. Uh, and, and a city like Denver can afford to dedicate the staff and man hours and hire law clerks and, and do all kinds of things to kind of um, handle it I, operationally like we were talking about exactly. before that the idea of auto expungement is great but at the end of the day right. in a small town that, that's taxed uh, you know that that's resources are taxed 
how are they going to, um, you know, really handle that? They're, they're, they're not, it's not foundationally able, and that's why expungement is typically, you know, you have to petition for it. Um, because the government can't incur or afford mm -hmm. to allocate resources to that kind of thing. Um, but we have new resources from cannabis dollars. Uh, and, you know, I think it's only fair that, you know, we do what we can to kind of right the wrongs of the past. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. All right, Jordan. Well, cool. thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge with us and all that background insight on how we came to Colorado legalization. There was definitely tons of work going on in the back end, and there's so much more work going on now to continue to you know create a healthy and safe environment for patients and you know just recreational consumers as well. So we appreciate all the work that you've done with that. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. It was a really interesting yeah. conversation. Appreciate it. Appreciate everything you've done and. Like Lucy said, and I also respect the, uh, we wrote down cool nerds here. <laughs> so much respect to my other fellow cool nerd out there. And thanks for uh, nerding out to get the word out and be on the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, check us out, simplifya.com, simplify with an A at the end. And uh, we hope to be able to help you soon. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and with that, I'm Lit. I'm Lucid. And that's it. Laters. This episode of Lit and Lucid Podcast is produced in partnership with YooHoo Creative and Design. YooHoo Creative specializes in marketing, social media management, content creation, and other creative needs. YooHoo, helping your company become who you need to be. If you're interested in learning more, hit us up at yoohoocreative at gmail.com.